This is episode 77 of the Creative Giant Show. I'm Charlie Gilkey. Thanks so much for joining me today. Cynthia Morris joins me today to jam about creativity, talent, and capturing the wow that comes up as we travel through our days. This is a particularly good episode to listen to if you're at the beginning of your mastery journey with a creative form, whether that form is writing, painting, music, programming, or blogging, or any other creative form, or if you've just found yourself paralyzed by trying to cater to all of the voices out there that might judge your work. Ready? Let's do this. Welcome to the Creative Giant Show, where we go behind the scenes about what it means to live a life full of creative and professional success. Creative giants are talented, renaissance souls with a compassion-fueled bias towards action. Now, here is your host, Charlie Gilkey. Hello, Creative Giants. I am delighted to introduce you to Cynthia Morse. Devoted to capturing life on the page in full color, Cynthia loves to illustrate everyday moments in ink and watercolor. Her Ritual Blessings deck is a colorful affirmation deck designed to banish writer's block. Cynthia is the author of several books, including the Paris novel, Chasing Sylvia Beach, and the how-to guide, Create Your Writer's Life. Since 1999, Cynthia has coached writers, artists, and entrepreneurs to make their creative dreams a thrilling reality. Her Capture the Wild creativity workshops are held in the U.S. and Europe and bring the joy of travel to the everyday. She's also on the faculty of Jonathan Field's Good Life Project. Alrighty, Cynthia, thanks so much for joining me today. I'm, you know, you're one of my favorite people to talk to. I've got... I guess the benefit of the show is that I get to talk to some of my, I get a context to talk to so many of my favorite people, but we're talking about another one of my favorite topics, which is creativity, what it is, how to be more creative, how to harness your creative, we're just going to, you know, jam on creativity. So thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you for inviting me. I love talking with you about creativity and productivity. Yeah, creativity and productivity. Oh, you slid in the productivity word. That's going to be a fun episode. So, you know, one of the things that one of the reasons why I love talking to you about creativity is now you're multimodal in a, in a way that you weren't, say, a few years ago. By multimodal, I mean, you don't just consider yourself a writer anymore. You don't consider yourself, well, I'll let you tell that story there. But when we first met, it was Cynthia, the writer, right? Um, and then you flipped out the notebook and I was like, oh, snap, there's more, there's more there. So tell us a little bit about your ownership of you know, you call yourself a, a medium agnostic creator. What is that and how'd you get there? Well, I, uh, you're right. I have been a writer for a long time and years and years ago, I did the artist's way. I think like 20, 20 years ago, I did the artist's way and the artist's way by Julia Cameron is a great book about helping you discover what turns you on, what lights you up. So as a, as a result of that book, there are all these exercises saying, if you could do this, if you could do that, in the course of going through that program, I took about every single art class you could imagine. You name it, I took it, including dance, singing lessons, calligraphy, everything. And I really enjoyed all of them, and I had some, some skill at some of them. But I realized right away that if I wanted to make any headway in any one in any way, any way that I would need to focus. I learned really like what it takes to become a good singer or what it takes to become a good writer. You really have to focus and devote yourself. So that was like 1995 or 96. I said, I'm going to be a writer. And I really leaned in on that for a long, long time. 
taking every class, writing in every genre, starting to um, teach writing, and then working on my novel for many years, about a decade or more. But along the side, I started, um, I found a book called Art as a Way and another book by the same author, Frederick Frank, uh, Zen Seeing, Zen Drawing. And it was about drawing as a way to meditate. And that appealed to me because people had always been suggesting that I meditate. And I'm like, yep, right. I'm not about to sit still for five minutes, let alone, you know, 20 or whatever. Um, so I picked up a pen, not to write, but to draw. And I found immediately a sense of calm and peace and focus that I think is what people are going for with a meditation or a stillness practice. And then I just started drawing on the side and developing what I've heard you call a fail-free fail zone, mm -hmm. yeah. um, where I just had, did not have to be good. I didn't have to look good or be good or produce anything of any value or merit or skill. And that really was joyful um, for me. And then I started leading these creativity workshops in France that were really about kind of following in the lineage of Frederick Frank, we're really about seeing and experiencing the multifaceted, sensual nature of the world. Um, now that workshop is called Capture the Wow. But in the 10, 11 years since I started leading that workshop, I have been filling notebook after notebook, getting more and more joy from um, playing with lines and color and studying art um, how to draw, how to paint. And whenever I show people my journal, uh, these moleskin accordion notebooks, everybody in every continent, every culture says the same thing. They say, wow! So that was part of naming um, Capture the Wow. And once I published my novel in 2012, I kind of freed up my big... Um, I had really been dedicated to that project for that long, and that really took up most of my spare time. Once I published that, I was able to turn toward developing myself as an artist, kind of coming out of the journal and seeing where that led me. So since 2013, I've been um, focusing a little bit more on a visual medium. I do ink, um, pen ink, watercolor, illustrations, and paintings, and... Uh, when I decided to go pro with my art at the end of 2014, I, I had some remarkable things happen. I was um, hired to illustrate a book, and I produced a deck of illustrated affirmations for writers, my ritual blessings, and I got a lot of fun collaborations. So that, you know, like it may seem like I was an overnight success with that, but there were those 10 years of practicing in my journal privately in um, building building some skills so that's where i'm at now and i'm really having fun i still use my writing and find that i'm able to go deeper um into a more authentic voice and more authentic subject matter when i have this other medium that i'm playing with as well that's fantastic um a few shout outs there um so cynthia is the illustrator for Corey huff's how to sell your art online book that's going to be coming out in june Corey um was a guest um in the past and he's also going to be one of our upcoming guests again so um very tight relationship there um super great guy and great book as well i've seen the galley of it so you'll want to check it out when it comes out if you're interested in art so that's one thing 
second thing, the reason why I wanted to talk about this multi, this multi um, model or this, this medium agnostic thing is because I think a lot of times we get so stuck in a particular medium being tied to creativity. For instance, Cynthia, you know this, like for the longest time, I never considered the way that I draw forms and like worksheets and things like that. I never really considered that creative, right? I was just like, Oh, it's just kind of this dumb thing that I do, right? Makes sense of information and data, but there wasn't in my world, there wasn't like a term for informational design that there is now. Right. Um, or you can see programmers out there that are like, Oh, this isn't creative or they don't see it as creative or there's just certain things that we in our society call creative and art. And there are other things we don't at the same time that all of those different things can be creative. Right. Um, And so that's just one thing I wanted to draw out. I'm curious though, um, because there's this tension that you mentioned between mastery and being really good at an art form and this creative play of having something on the side. And I've noticed myself, especially around, um, you know, playing guitar and being a singer, like a very amateur singer songwriter. Like I get so frustrated sometimes when I don't set it up as a fail free zone or I don't set up my own safe place to fail where I'm like, ah, I want to be better at this. Um, but I want it to still be play, you know, in a lot of ways, as opposed to writing, which I'm more naturally gifted at. Um, how do you personally manage that tension between just letting it be play, letting it be in the moment versus getting better at it and not making it something that's, um, um, for show. Yeah. Something for show. Yeah. It's a great question because both approaches are valid and everybody has their own reason for doing whatever they do. And I think everybody should really have some clarity around, well, why am I doing this? Um, I want to tell a story about how I started writing because it's kind of shocking to me even now. Um, When I started writing in 1994, I had the same fears that pretty much everybody has. Two main ones, am I good enough and do I have anything to say? And so I was reading Natalie Goldberg's book, Writing Down the Bones, which is all about free writing and using that as a method to get your writing out without the critic. And somehow I gave myself... I had this idea to give myself five years to write without worrying about it being any good or going anywhere. So in those five years, I took a lot of classes. I wrote a ton. I even started teaching writing classes. And by the end of the five years, I said, it's time to get out there now. And I, I did. I started publishing my work. I had two columns in local newspapers. And I had a lot more confidence than I would have had I not given myself that what I consider an apprenticeship period. And it seems absurd now because even a year, even three months, even you know a quarter seems like a long time to give yourself to write in relative um, isolation without a lot of public acclaim. I think that's a little bit of the dark side of having so much online now and access to being a public um, communicator that we, we're, we're so, like, we need that public response to anything we do. And I think that can be really detrimental to being a beginner or novice or an apprentice. So I see a lot of people get very frustrated right away because they want to have immediate success. They want to be paid immediately for their work. They don't understand why it's taking so long for their blog to take off. And I feel it's a bit of an immature 
uh, response because we haven't developed the maturity as in our, in our field, in our craft. So <laughs> I laugh because I think writing is a tricky um, medium because we're taught to write in school. So we all think that we can write, but that doesn't mean that we can actually craft a compelling story or, you know, I use the word craft intentionally because when you're dedicated to writing as a, a craft, you have to, a lot to learn. I have been studying writing for a long, long time, 23 years. I'm still studying writing. So um, I, I just, I say that not to be discouraging, but to be encouraging that if you're not feeling the gains you want, it's not because it's you. Writing is a slow medium. And I think most art forms, running a business, being an artist, being a musician, being a writer, take a good long apprentice period that is very humbling and really calls you to be quite dedicated, um, which kind of leads me to why I think it's worth it, but I'll stop talking and... Well, I appreciate that because, you know, um, I sometimes call it proactive creativity versus reactive creativity, and especially as it relates to writing. Because, you know, when you're in school, like, you know, we start learning to write very, very early and a teacher gives you assignment, you know, write about Paris, right? Give me 300 words about Paris. And your whole assignment is go figure something else about, go figure out something about Paris and write about Paris. Well, that's quite a bit different than when you start creating your own body of work. And there's really your own, because there may not be someone say, go write about Paris, right? You have to figure out what you want to write about, right? You have to figure out what you have to say. And, you know, very similar to what you said, there was someone at a, at an event um, that I was speaking at back in January and she was so focused on like what her blog should be about and, and so on and so forth. And I said, you know, like maybe, figure out what you have to say first and then figure out who you're writing to and what about and so on and so forth. But the more she talked, the more just from an intuitive hit, I was like, I don't think you actually know what you want to write about. I don't think you know yourself that well. And so you're trying to figure out and go out there and figure out what other people want. Yeah. That other focused uh, approach is a real um, killer for your own creativity and authenticity. Yeah, and it is. And that's the problem in creative entrepreneurship a lot of times It's because you have to find that balance between, you know, I just made a garden hole for people, right? I know there are people out there, they want a garden hole. I know what it looks like. I know what it's supposed to do. I can go make a better garden hole, right? Um, However, when we're um, writers, when we're communicators, when we're artists, just because we know that somebody wants that metaphorical garden hoe doesn't mean that that's what we want to write about and that's what we can do long term. And in a lot of ways, people think I need this garden hoe. Here's what I'm thinking, but you need to provide a fork. You know, you need to provide something different than what that person is thinking. And so there's all this sort of what do you want to write about? How are you going to show up? How is your voice going to show up in the world? Um, how is that going to meet with people that just come part of that? So when you're starting your earlier writing career and I get off the stump about this, but I think it's true for writing. I think it's true for art. I think it's true for all of these mediums. You first have to start with figuring out one, the mechanics of how to do whatever it is you do. And so that might right. be five years of just um, assimilation and imitation, right? So there's the, there's the model. I'm sure you've heard of this one. Like it's um, assimilate, imitate, innovate, right? Assimilate, yeah. innovate, or assimilate, Im- imitate, and then innovate. Um, you got to start with assimilating what other people are doing. And there's a lot of imitation. It's a lot of just writing and putting color on the page. If you're right. Then at some point you start to innovate and not capital I innovate, but you start doing new things. 
And the last thing I'll say about this is I think there's this pernicious, pernicious sort of talent myth that we have that some people are talented. Like Cynthia was born to be a visual artist and she just has that talent and she was good at it from the beginning. I don't have that. I, I, I put pain to thing. I don't have the talent, so I'm not going to be good at it. And I think that's also what gets in the way of this sort of like instant creative success thing is because we think if you've got the talent, if you got the spark, you should just be able to sit down and just do it. Right. <laughs> right. But that's no, not the way it, it works. <laughs> It's actually, you know, and this is why I, I do what I do. Actual, the actual work of making anything is very difficult. Writing itself is hard enough and making art is hard enough. Building a business is hard enough. My work is to help people deal with those inner and outer obstacles so that they can get to the work. So like doing the work, setting themselves up to do it isn't as difficult as um as actually doing it. That doesn't make any sense what I just said, but, um, I know what you mean. Right. Clearing, the, clearing all the path, clearing the path so that you can focus on getting that domain expertise in writing or illustrating or music so that, because that's where I think the, the thrill is, the joy is, is like becoming a better musician, becoming a better writer. That feels great. It feels great, especially, um, Here's been my experience. It feels great when you allow it to come up as a surprise mm. as opposed to when you allow it to come up as an expectation. Mm. And what I mean by that mm. is, for instance, what I've noticed about, say, my playing the guitar and everything is like, I play a lot. There's songs I just want to play. There's sometimes ones that I get better. But the best thrill is when I realize I've gotten better at something mm. without sitting down like, I'm going to practice these scales for two weeks and then I'm going to get better. But you're sitting there and you're just kind of playing and then you you hit that scale and you're like, I didn't know that was going to happen. <laughs> or you hit yeah. that chord progression. You're like, Oh wow. Like that happened. And I hadn't like put the pressure on her. So, you know, there's this way of balancing like the fun and structured play. Um, but I think it's, it can be um, really nice when you surprise yourself. And I think that's in so many different creative endeavors, especially right now with social media and where, you know, we'll put something out and then we expect or we want the likes. If we don't get the likes and we don't get any, like we feel bad about ourselves. We don't give ourselves that time to just um, turn it and, and play with it and then surprise ourselves because we're so waiting for other people to validate our talent or our, our work. I think you've hit on a really powerful aspect of life that, that makes life um, fun and joyful and the element of surprise. That's why humor works. Humor works because we're surprised by what the person says. And when we can surprise ourselves in our writing, in the writing class I teach, um, I, people are like, I had no idea that was in there. I had no idea that was coming out. And I'm like, that's one of the best things. And the problem is with our big, beautiful brains, we think we have to have it all figured out before we sit down or you think you have to like have it be very structured. We, we try to put all the structure around us because we don't trust ourselves. But when we get into the creative play zone and we're just like noodling around with color or riffing on the guitar, things come out. Or I think what you were alluding to when you're just repeatedly um, practicing and then one day you realize, wow, I'm better than I was before. I remember when I felt that I speak French, I studied French, I have a degree in French. And when I realized like 10, 12 years after I graduated from college, 
oh my God, I speak French. I actually have that skill. It was a real surprise to me and a real delight. And um, it made me dedicate myself to it even more because I, I kind of had it. Why not use it? Yeah. There's plenty of occasions like that where I've surprised myself, not just in creative stuff, like some of the skills I learned from the army, like they don't tell you necessarily this is what you're learning, right? This, this, is, this is a subject matter expert, expertise that we're teaching you right now, but you end up in a situation where all of that fires and you're like, I did not know that I could do that, right? Yeah. Um, I did great. not know that that wasn't a common skill, right? Um, yeah. in, until you do it and you're like, whoa, that was kind of cool, actually. Um, yeah. That happens a lot with exercise. If you have a physical, if you have, are physically fit and you have an exercise practice, I've been practicing yoga for a long time. And when I went to um, try rock climbing, I was really good because I had all of this intelligence in my hands and my feet and also just kind of this body confidence. That was a real surprise. That was a good one. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, hmm. we're talking about creative surprise here. So, um, I think there's this bit, there's this tension between creative surprise and trust, right? You kind of know what you can do, but then you surprise yourself at the same time. For instance, um, one of the things I've learned about myself is um, when I'm really thinking through something, I actually don't need to write first. I need to talk first, right? And I might sort of have a structural outline of like, okay, here's what I'm going to talk about. I might write it on the board behind me or in a keynote, but then I'll actually record myself talking as if I was talking mm -hmm. to because I'll say all sorts of other things and I've learned mm -hmm. this, I've tried this, that I would not write mm -hmm. for some reason or the other, like speaking is my primary, I mean, actually, because, you know, we're human and we talk a lot, right? Speaking is my primary um, exploratory medium, not writing. Um, writing is my primary explanatory uh, medium. Mm -hmm. so I like I that. That's a great I, distinction. I know that when I'm exploring a topic, I got to talk to people, right? Mm -hmm. Or pretend that I'm talking to people because I'll say things that I wouldn't say if I were writing and explaining. It's a very weird thing, but you got to, like, I think we all have those different creative hacks. I think what I heard from you earlier is your process of capturing the wow and painting is an exploratory process that then when you transfer mediums, then you're able to do that so much more, right? And I think some people can go from kinesthetic, like working out, to work out some of the epiphanies because a lot of times we don't really think about how smart and creative our bodies are, you know? No, there, there really are though quite designed for amazingness. The thing about my art that I think is cool talking about surprise, I wasn't really trying to be, I was, I, when I was taking classes, I was trying to be better, but I still don't think my art is that proficient or technically amazing. But for some reason, people love it. And they, they, I was started capturing the responses that people had to it. And they talked about a lightness, a joyfulness, a happiness, a playfulness. They're very much parts of who I am, as you know, but not that, that those elements um, were not coming out in my writing, like ever at all. And so it's interesting how if you pick up another art form, and often if I'm coaching clients who are just really stuck and they're, they just think they have to discipline themselves and really just force themselves or set up structures to get in the studio or make things happen, I'm like, let's try a different medium. And they're like, I'm gardening now. I'm loving it. Switching media can really freshen things up because in your, your primary domain, you have all these expectations. I had real serious expectations that I was supposed to be a very masterful writer. 
but I had no expectations in the art realm. And even as I've advanced toward being more of a professional um, paid artist, I've had to learn not to worry about being proficient. Like some things I just can't do and will never be able to do. I'm not very good at perspective drawing. And I'm like, well, I'm going to learn. I can study. I can figure that out. And then one day I'm like, no, that's your style to not, you know, that wonky and the wabi-sabi, that's part of your style. That's what people love. They love seeing the, the wonkiness in the line that shows that it's done by a human hand. It's not you know, computer generated. So I think if, um, if, there any, if the listeners take anything from our conversation here, it's really to free yourself up of having to be perfect or look good or make it, make it public right away. Like really giving yourself some space to play and explore. Yeah. Play and explore and surprise yourself. Right. You know, because what we know is, and this is Cynthia and I are both coaches here, right? So you end up in in coaching talks, everybody bear with us, right? So you have that zone of conscious competence. And then right above that, you have unconscious competence, right? So you know, the different levels of competency here, right? So I'll just show everybody. So you have unconscious incompetence. You don't know what you don't know, right? You have conscious incompetence. You know what you don't know. You have conscious competence. You know what you know. And then you have unconscious competence where you just kind of don't know everything that you do know, right? And the challenge is as you become more masterful at any art form, it actually, and especially when you go to a commercial thing. Now, to be clear, I'm not going to draw like the art versus business you know, line. I'm not going to push that one because I think it's bogus. But I think finding those places where you can push yourself to not be so much thinking about the techno- the techniques the techniques of your art form the the norms of your art form what other people do so on and so forth can actually get you into that true zone of excellence which is that unconscious competence because then you're just expressing yourself you're not trying to do anything but that and that's really really hard to get to at a certain point especially when you become masterful and especially when you become a teacher because you're so you're you're your conscious mind is so aware of everything that's going on. It's, it's so aware of all the norms and just to shut that off and get there. Super hard to do. Um, but that's where a lot of the magic happens. Yeah. And I think that for me, the key, the key is to be like a hungry baby or a hungry learner, or I'm always just like, how do I do that? And how do I, I really want to learn that. I'm really just so engaged in the, the medium that I'm playing with that I'm okay being um, incompetent at it and um, watching things evolve and watching things grow and really being mindful of the progress that I've made over time. And I have um, several different mastermind buddies and one of them, he's like, go back and look at your journals from five years ago and see how you've improved. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. And so I kind of ignored the homework and then and the, the line that I'd drawn, the, the drawings um, from 2005 to 2015, and it was amazing just how much confidence I could see in my line. And, and seeing that and being able to sort of quantify it in my own assessment really added a lot more joy and confidence to what I was doing now and a desire and a willingness to be a beginner even at this point and say, all right, well, now I'm learning this because I know I'm going to improve. So often people won't stop and um, 
do that kind of assessment. And um, I'm really glad that I did because it, it gives us a lot if we can take a, take a look back. Yeah. So one of the things that, that comes up for me is there's this tension we keep talking about of sort of solo creativity versus social catalytic creativity where we have mastermind buddies and we have different people telling us like, hey, go back and look at that. So they're not necessarily critiquing our work, but they're more looking at our process and looking at us as creative individuals. And then we have more market-based things like what other people want. And then we have experts things like what experts expect out of writing, which believe it or not, a lot of times your market are not the experts, right? Um, and what the experts want and what the market wants are two different things. Um, and that's a whole mind trip for creative people, right? Um, but through the midst of all of this, like how can we be our most authentic selves when we're mm. making and sharing our work so that we don't like mm. have all of these other people who may not be, who may not need to be in the creative car with us. And mm. There they are. That is such a great question. And what, um, something I'm always trying to do, you know, my company's called original impulse. And so originality is something that's very important to me. And also it's not easy to achieve. I find, um, thinking about it as a creative edge, what is my creative edge? And by that, I mean, so say my medium right now is um, drawing and illustration. And what is my edge in that domain? I'm trying to work with color better. I'm trying to um, bring image and text together in ways that are inspiring and fresh to me and to others. I'm trying both in my writing and my art to really go deep and come from a very meaning from me meaningful place and a deep place and not just the surface um, kind of didacticism. So those are, those are a couple of my creative edges right now. And I think when we find that creative edge, like that's looking in and looking at the, the medium you're working in and looking at your process, it's not looking at product or um, what am I trying to produce so I find that like knowing what, what my edge is, is really helpful. And in terms of if you're trying to create not for pay or for hire, or you're not collaborating, or even if you're not even you know, posting it on Instagram or your blog or whatnot, having a project, having a specific project to work on has always helped me rather than just practicing. It's like, well, I'm going to try to write, you know, a short story in six weeks, or I'm going to create a body of work. Pam Slim's book, Body of Work, um, I love that phrase and that she really brought it out into a much more mainstream way. I think that can really help creative people. Um, it helps me a lot with the, the paintings and illustrations I'm doing, um, seeing them as bodies of work. Um, so those, those are a few thoughts about how I am able to try to inward and come from a place of originality. Alrighty, so let's talk about capturing the wow. And um, let's try to do this in a medium agnostic way. So um, if people were looking to, well, I'll let you explain really what capturing the wow is, but sort of three questions or three sort of perspectives that might help them capture the wow um, every day. So explain a little bit what you mean by capture the wow and then give us sort of three practices. Okay. Capture the Wow is a workshop that I teach. It's approach to living that helps us to um, 
tune into ourselves, tune into the world around us and kind of get a little bit of space away from the online world. Um, the reason that I think that's important is because we are very much in the consumer seat and I know a lot of us would prefer to be a little bit more innovative, a little bit more creative. So um, Capture the Wow helps us to experience and appreciate what's around us and filter it through our own kind of capturing way. So basically, I it's about going analog. You take a notebook, doesn't have to be fancy. You take a pen, pencil, whatever your um, art supplies are. It can be anything. I don't have a prescription for that, but definitely putting your phone away and getting out into the world so that you can get some space, um, replenish your perspective, and um, kind of enjoy real life a little bit more. So it's not about making art. The, the workshop I teach has 24 capture tools, and there are only, I think, two or three of them that are actually visual. Most of them are using um, words or you know, using more words. So this started as a way to travel because when we travel, we are just being, um, we're bombarded with thousands of new impressions. It can be very overwhelming, very stimulating. And what do you do with all that? So as a way to process all of that and capture that, I developed these capture tools. One of them, and here's one that I think anybody can do anytime. And it's on like an instant refresh. It's an instant reset. And it's, a, I think, a cool way to meditate is to do what I call sensual focusing. So what you do is you, maybe you're in a park bench or you're in a cafe or you can do this anywhere. You start by closing your eyes. This takes about five minutes. You go through each sense. So you start with sound and you ask yourself, what am I hearing? And you just listen for about a minute, you know, everything you're hearing. And then you ask yourself, how would I describe what I'm hearing? And then what do I smell? What do I taste? What do I touch? And then you, um, before you open your eyes, what do, what do I sense? What's the sixth sense? What do I, what's my sense about this environment? And then you open your eyes and do that for what do I see? And then you jot all of those things down. And just You can do a quick word sketch and capture that. What that does is it drops you right down in the present moment. It calms you. It focuses you. It's like, it's so amazing. You really realize, wow, I've got all of this, this amazing instrument of the body that's been just kind of numbed out by, by, you know, by being on screen. And I'm not a Luddite, don't get me wrong, but I just think we have a little too much time on screen. And so you really are able to hear more and sense more. This is a great um, practice for writers or artists of any kind. It's really about paying attention and training you in what you're paying attention to. I say that um, for creative people, our attention is our superpower. What we're paying attention to absolutely drives what we're making and how we're making it. And if you're unconscious about what you're paying attention to, you're unconscious about what you're creating. So that's one of the capture tools. Um, basically, most of them are really just about being able to quickly jot down impressions throughout the course of a day this is great if you're traveling. It's great if you're at conferences. It's great if you are a creative person and you're trying to innovate and develop ideas. And I know people might say, well, sure, I've got my apps for that. I've got my Evernote or I've got Notebook or Noteshelf or all of that. And I think that's fine. I don't, I don't, I'm not against any of that. But just take a, um, 
be mindful about what happens when you get your iPad out or your iPhone and you go to capture something in Evernote. What happens next? You are, let me check email. Let me check Instagram. I'm so important. I need to check in on Facebook. And oh, what's that notification? So I love my digital devices and I run my business on them. But in terms of being able to tune into my creativity and my own experience and everything, I love the notebook. I'm very much an analog um, practitioner. So that's, those are a couple thoughts about Capture the Wow. I can keep going on and on about it if you have questions or want to know more. Yeah, well, there are two points. One, I think it's beyond like, um, let me put it this way. There are more and more studies that reinforce the idea that the devices that we use are actually creating um, neural wiring that makes us distracted. So it's not that you consciously think about Instagram and Facebook when you touch your phone. It's that you touch your phone and then pathways in your brain actually respond with the tools that you use most frequently on that, right? And so I think a lot of, I think that's one thing we really have to take seriously nowadays is that we are creating technology that hooks us into it and separating from that technology opens up different neural pathways that we don't normally assess because again, you touch the phone, everything you do with the phone goes on. I was actually, I was thinking about this earlier because I was having a problem focusing on the computer that I'm recording from right now. And I have, Cynthia, I think you know this, I have a Chromebook that I bought specifically to do one thing, right? That's the only thing I do on the Chromebook. And I was so distracted. I'm looking at this big screen. I'm like, I got to get something done. I grabbed the note. I grabbed, went downstairs, which is where I keep the Chromebook. And I worked off the kitchen table on a teeny tiny screen with a device that doesn't do a lot of things very well. But you know what? I ended up writing for two hours straight when I couldn't yeah. get anything going because I switched context. I switched the device. Yep. You switch the device. You switch the way you think. So if you need to think different, switch devices, right? Well, it's, you consciously trained yourself to mm -hmm. do that. And that is what Capture the Wow is. It's a, an awareness training. It's not about making pretty images in a journal. It's about training our awareness. And that's why the digital life is so um, dangerous because we had no training. We just kind of like throw the baby the device and we're all like, woo, and having fun and it's great. And then we're like, wait, I'm hooked. I'm completely <laughs> Yeah, well we make these I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, we make these intuitive devices, but we make these devices that rewire our brain and tell us how to use the device, right? Yeah. And then we wonder why when we touch the device, like it doesn't like we think differently. Yeah. Um, and so that's one thing. The other thing that I want to say is you is you developed capture the wow um, as a way to stay in touch while you're traveling, touch with yourself, stay connected with yourself while you're traveling. That's not what you said, but that's what I heard. Um, but I just want to remind all of the listeners is that we're traveling every day everywhere through this world. We're traveling with each other. We're traveling through our experiences. And so you don't have to go to France, right? To be traveling because there's something exactly where you are that you're traveling through and to be aware of that. Yep. Well, here's just a great example of how I used the other, used it the other day and how I'm even um, have to be mindful of it. I was at a cafe. I was meeting somebody and she was about 10 minutes late. So I was sitting there with my notebooks and I had plenty of screen time that day. So I felt myself saying, well, let me check Instagram. And then I went do that. And I'm like, I'm not, I don't really want to do that. I want to just be in my journal. So I started just sketching um, some patterns that's for an idea that I have for painting and 
um, just in five minutes, just a little sketch, I broke through to a solution for what I, how I wanted to do the painting. And then I came home later that night and started drawing it on the piece of paper. And it was amazing what came out because I'd had that little bit of time just noodling around and creativity, whether it's art making or business building or being an educator or a healthcare practitioner, everybody has to be creative. So solving those little problems through noodling or random sketching or note taking, um, kind of paying attention to the world and seeing what the world throws to us in terms of new connections. That's what it was about. It's not about being a traveler or being an artist at all. It's about being um, in tune. Being in tune. Um, all right, let's have you, since you're a brilliant creative person and you're also a fantastic coach, I'm going to turn over the mic to you to get to issue the creative challenge for this episode. So you oh. get to do it. I'll repeat it so everybody can hear it. But like, if you want, want people to take away one thing and as, as a creative challenge to go forward with, what would you want that one thing to be? The, well, in the vein of capture the well, what I would want for people is to experiment with not picking up your phone when you have a free moment. Like go for, if you can even go for one or three or five days out in the world in between errands, when you're waiting, when you're, when you have those free few minutes to not pick up your phone and see what happens to notice what goes on in your own psyche and your own body. Does it make you really anxious? Do you get really bored? Do you start eating? Um, and if you have maybe a notebook with you instead, pick that up and just, just even like draw a line, draw what you see in front of you, make some notes, like whatever you're thinking, it doesn't have to be anything or see what it's like to just sit there without your phone. I think that's more challenging than just like noodling in a notebook. I would just want this to be an experiment to see what would your life be like if you didn't turn to your phone every time you have a spare minute. That's fantastic. Cynthia, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me, Charlie. Okay, Creative Giants. So you heard it from Cynthia. Let's make it a challenge of five days. Grab a notebook, grab something to capture the wow that's going on around you every day, not on your phone, but with something that you create with your hand. Take five days, see what happens. Make it an experiment. And until next time, stand tall. Thanks for listening to the Creative Giant Show. To find more tools and inspiration for creative giants, head on over to ProductiveFlourishing.com. Stand tall, creative giant.